Hi, this is Nathan Owens from the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse in Antigua. Every Tuesday evening at 7.30, we have a live call-in program discussing real-life issues from the Caribbean. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You're listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program with Dr. David Murphy, designed to answer your questions biblically in this confusing culture. Dr. Murphy has over 30 years of counseling and ministry experience here in the Caribbean and is ready to answer your questions according to truth. Good evening and welcome back yet again for another exciting episode of That's Truth. Time across the Eastern Caribbean and in our studios in the community of Valley Church, Antigua, is 7.30. Pastor Murphy is sitting across the desk from me as usual, and we are here to answer your questions. Good evening, Pastor. Uh, Good evening, Brother Nathan, and thank those who are listening this evening. This is an interactive program. We don't just give you the opportunity to interact with you. We look forward to your interaction. I don't know what you've been going through this week. I don't know what whether it's been a good week or a difficult week, but we are here tonight to answer your questions. And as we await your questions, we are going to pick up with a topic that we begin talking about last week, a topic that applies to all of us to some degree. In fact, I would say, Pastor, it applies to all of us to a great degree, Uh, maybe not at this particular phase of life, but give it a month, give it a year, and we will all face rejection to some degree. Last week you were talking about uh, the definition of rejection and the forms of rejection, what are some of the effects of rejection, and then you wrapped up by saying what are some of the common reactions that are normal for rejection. Can you just give us kind of a highlight of what you feel would be important for the individual who's just tuned in and didn't hear that episode last week? Well, I think we kind of give a synopsis of what we covered last week. Um, We wanted to be very, very clear what people understood by the term of rejection, and we used two biblical um, terms that are used to describe it. Um, We also wanted to let the individuals know that Rejection is very real, it cuts very deeply, it erodes your self-confidence, and it shatters uh, your sense of self-worth, and it comes in a variety of forms that we kind of enumerated, I think we did about 12 of the different forms in which it come, uh, comes. Um, it Also, it's important that we talked about how people react to it, and that reaction uh, varies from anger to self-pity to even the actual suicide. Uh, that is something that people ought to be very concerned about. Um, but you're going to be uh, rejected at some point in time if you haven't already. And the important thing about rejection basically is how to handle it, how to how to um, approach it from a Christian perspective, because uh, it is something that you're going to face intermittently uh, in life. Uh, remember that we live in a narcissistic world where everybody is looking out for number one. Mm-hmm. And when you live in a world where self has become the center, uh, people make decisions based on what benefits them and sometimes to your detriment you're hurt so you're going to find that uh, you're going to face rejection at some point in time you just got to prepare for it Pastor here's a question from a listener 
many transgender people face rejection from their family. Studies have shown that that increases their likelihood of attempting suicide. From a biblical worldview, how should we approach a family member who tells us that they are transgender? I think that's a very practical question in today's day and age. Yeah, we we are living in an age where anything goes, and uh, people no longer seem to um, believe that there's anything called sin. Um, they're using the excuse that the problem is a biological problem. It's the medical model of the human condition. Every issue that we have today, uh, it is now uh, being proposed that it has some medical or chemical um, reaction that's causing the issue. Of course, that absolves people of personal responsibility, and that's something we as Christians have never, uh, must never, ever fall into the trap. Um, a person who is a transgender, or maybe you can talk about other forms, homosexual, lesbian, etc., we must never ever make them feel as though that's how they were born. Nobody is born in that condition, okay? Uh, we need to let people understand that most of these conditions that people are talking about today are a result of habit and practice, and uh, especially at a very, very early age. But having started something at a very early age, um, it is easy to buy into the psychological jargon that's being uh, foisted on people that it is really something that we are oriented to or that some way we were born. My, my thing would be to point out to the person that the lifestyle is not something that we can endorse, but it doesn't mean we can't love people because they're different from us. Um, God loves the world. we got to love the world as well. But in that love, we got to make sure that um, the worst thing we can do in talking in terms of love is to mislead people and to make them feel comfortable in the sin, and then they end up being in damnation. So while we must uh, truth in love and speak truth in love, uh, we must at the same time make those people know that they are responsible and that their lifestyle is contrary to what God desires for them, and they can change. If you read uh, Corinthians chapter 6, I read that I think on Sunday morning or last Sunday morning, I dealt with that somewhat. Uh, Paul lists a whole litany of, of uh um, terrible uh, iniquities that people once were. And Paul Paul talks about the effeminate, and that has to do with the female part of the homosexual, the male who acts a female, and then talk the abuses of mankind as the male. And then Paul points out, and such were some of you. In other words, it was past, and they say you were washed, you were justified, you were sanctified. So people can change. But we got to be very, very careful uh, that we always make Remember that people are made in the image of God. It doesn't matter whether the person is homosexual, whether he's a, um, a, a lesbian or a transgender. He is a, uh, a creature made uh, in the image of God, and we ought at least to show him respect and love, not endorsement of what he's doing, but we need to make sure that um, we don't ostracize those people to the extent where we forget that they're humans and that we ought to show them some kind of compassion. Thank you to the individual who sent in that question, and that question very easily segues to my next question for you, Pastor. What is the biblical perspective on the subject of rejection? Well, I think if you check the Bible and go to the Scriptures, you'll discover that people who are facing rejection got to understand that they're not alone in this uh, pain that they're faced with. Uh, throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, you'll find that 
uh, there are several biblical characters that were faced with rejection. Uh, if you go into the Old Testament, you'll find that many of the prophets that God had called uh, to speak to the people, uh, they were totally rejected, stoned. As a matter of fact, uh, Jeremiah is a classic example where he was actually slapped, insulted, and then thrown into a pit of, of grime where um, he had to be in that condition until he was removed. Um, you go through the New Testament and you'll find that there are people who face rejection. The Apostle Paul is a classic example. Uh, he was stoned on more than one, on one occasion. You find that also he had to escape uh, through a window, lowered by a basket because he was rejected. People didn't believe he was a believer. Um, so the, the, the perspective that you must bear in mind is that rejection is a reality that human beings will face. And there are very many biblical examples of that in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And of course, the premier example of rejection is Christ. Uh, he came on his own and his own what received him not. Yeah. He's a stone that the builders rejected. Isaiah said uh, of him, he's a man of sorrows rejected of men. Uh, so he understood understood uh, rejection because he endured inject rejection. So I think we just got to arm ourselves with the understanding that rejection is part and parcel of living in a, a fallen world. And uh, if they did it to a master, why should we expect it should be any different to us? Uh, he himself said that if they've done it to the master, they'll do it to the servant as well. So I think that's the biblical perspective that we have to have, that it is a common aspect to human existence. Because we are believers, it doesn't mean that we are uh, protected um, or excluded from the possibility of this phenomenon called rejection. Uh, we share in the common ailments of humanity because we are part of this sinful system. But we as believers have got to learn how to cope with it, how to deal with it, and I think that's the most important thing. We, we can't escape it. It's going to come our way at some point in time. So the best thing to do is to try to see how we can handle it as Christians rather than trying to evade it because it is certainly something inevitable that we're going to face. I imagine one of the worst types of rejection would be rejection from family. And along those lines, I'm thinking of Joseph in the Old Testament. Uh, that that would be an encouragement to those who may be facing rejection from family. Yeah, I think that is one of the big ones, and also romantic rejection. Yeah, uh, I think that is probably the next most devastating one because that is like like you're being discarded uh, for somebody else, and of course that demeans your self concept and your self worth, which is a very painful uh, encounter. So, uh, and again. You can find that uh, the, 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 the pain of that. You remember um, the illegitimate attempt of um, Potiphar's wife to ingratiate herself into the favor of Joseph. And she made all these attempts to get him, and then he rejected her. You remember what she did? She plotted him. Yeah. And she made sure that, uh, well, you, you, if I can't get you, nobody will get you. will get you in prison. So she claimed that he had, she had raped her. And, of course, uh, Joseph in, uh, got up in prison. But that gives you an idea of how painful, um, even though it was illegitimate, but to be jilted and to uh, to be turned down by a person who is making this proposition, um, that gives you an idea of how painful it could be, even though it was illegitimate, uh, rejected love. Interesting you say that. I heard someone mention today that uh, venting is not necessarily the best way to deal with our frustrations. It may feel good in the short term, but it often is just complaining about the problem rather than focusing on being thankful for what God has done. And one thing that amazes me, and I've read through every verse that I'm aware of in the Old Testament, speaking of Joseph, and I'm not saying that Joseph was perfect, yeah. but there is not a verse that records 
that Joseph complained. And that's an amazing uh, example. Yeah, but the, the, the real key to Joseph's life is when you read, and the Lord was with him. Yeah. Uh, Joseph lived under the scrutiny of God. He was very, very conscious of, of God in his life. And a person who is very God-conscious and is uh, connected with God in a, a relational way uh, is able to avoid revenge and envy and seeking, uh, you know, I wanted my pound of flesh. Uh, clearly in the Bible, revenge is never a recourse for the believer. The Bible says vengeance belongs to the Lord. And sometimes we have to cast our pain on him, as Peter said, casting all your care upon him, rather than trying to seek revenge. And of course, when you don't seek revenge, some people try to rebound from it, and that's the mistake a lot of people make. I, you know, they, they're not going to seek revenge, but to get back at the other person, they uh, make the mistake of quickly formulating a relationship as though they said to the other person, but you, you, you didn't yeah. want me, but look who wants me. And in the, in the long term, that creates tremendous pain because it is not done out of real, genuine, authentic love. It is done out of a way to show the person, I have worth. But in many times, it's not love for the person that uh, you've gone into connecting with. You're just trying to prove a point. And that proves to be detrimental to the relationship in the long term. And as you were talking about Joseph's relationship with God, the verse came to mind where uh, he said, how can I do this great wickedness, wickedness yeah. against my God? Yeah, I, I think, Nathan, that is part of the big problem in our modern times. Uh, Joseph was living under the scrutiny of God, and Joseph's concern was to please God in his life. Uh, I think that many believers have missed that part of it. They're not, they're not living as though God is seeing everything they're doing, and I don't want to um, hurt God. I don't want to cause God pain, as it were. I, I, I want to honor Him in how I live. I think that's perhaps the only way to deal with a lot of these conditions, because if you let the human part of it comes in, come into your, these, these relationships, and when this pain happens, this rejection happens, um, we often retaliate and we often uh, want to hit back. And uh, in, in the process, we, we do great injury, not only to others, but to ourselves, because in our most sober moments, when we reflect on what we've done, we realize that this was not the biblical way to deal with it, and we carry some guilt in, in terms of how we responded. But I think living on the scrutiny of God and trying to please God in your life, I think, to my mind, that's the key thing here. Time across the Eastern Caribbean and in our studios is 7.45 on this Tuesday evening. It doesn't matter how you're listening, whether it's on 1160 AM, 92.3 FM, online at www.radiolighthouse.org, or maybe you're joining us on Facebook. We are thankful that you have taken time, made time out of your Tuesday evening schedule. I know that you have a busy life. I know that you have a busy schedule and a lot of responsibilities. And the fact that you have taken time to join us here on the program means a lot to us. Not only do you have opportunity to listen to the program, you also have an opportunity to ask their questions. Maybe it's a question that a coworker asked you today. We would love to be able to help answer that question from a biblical worldview. You can call and be put live on the air by calling 268 462-7420. Let me give that to you again. Call 1-268-462-7420 if you'd like to be put live on the air. If you'd like to WhatsApp or text your question, you can send it to 1-268-782-1454. WhatsApp or text 268-782-1454. Or you can comment your questions on the Facebook Live video feed, 
uh, go to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse Facebook page, click on the Facebook Live video feed, and you can comment your questions there. Pastor Murphy, as we continue with this topic of rejection, what is it possible to categorize the dynamics that are involved in rejection? Well, when we talk about the dynamics involved in rejection, we talk those factors involved in um, rejection that can either ameliorate the pain or can exacerbate the pain or uh, wound us very deeply. For example, uh, I think one of the dynamic factors is the degree of romance or love that a person is involved in. The closer the person is to us, the more fond we are of that person, the the greater our affection, the the deeper the pain when it comes to the rejection. So it's not like an enemy rejecting us. So that's one of the dynamic factors, how how, uh, romantically involved we are with uh, the, the individual. Then the other thing is the authority figures that we look up to. Uh, when they uh, reject us, that we really were looking forward to these people, that's very, very painful. It's not just an ordinary person that we're dealing with now, somebody in authority that we respected, but then they seem to have rejected. And then um, the closeness in terms of relationships, uh, that you'd mentioned family. Um, I, I look, I've met old men who have been very, very successful but living in great pain because of the parents reject him. And you would think that mm. the person is so successful who seemed to have everything in the world that anybody would want, but yet the fact that they can't seem to have pleased their parents and the parents seem to have turned it back on and rejected them is one of the most painful things. And sometimes I can't, expl- I can't, I can't, uh, can't uh, understand why I would have thought that they have grown to the point where they're so successful now that they should forget that. Yeah. But it never, never, and that's because of the relationship that is there that should be, uh, it should, and then your peers, uh, those you associate with, and uh, if you have a status among them, uh, that's another dynamic. For, and then age is another matter. It, two things. Number one, children in particular, uh, especially vulnerable because they're trying to find their identity and that rejection can be very painful. And then during middle age is another vulnerable period of that, that um, major dynamic because that's a place in life where um, people have to make certain decisions. Um, some people might think they're over the hills, they never find love again, whatever it is. But that's a very dangerous period, uh, the, the age. And then I think also the economic status. Um, how the rejection impacts you. Is it, does it have a financial cost to it or monetary loss involved? Uh, so those are six uh, factors that interplay that will either uh, ameliorate your, your, your pain of rejection or it will exacerbate it and maybe wound it more deeply and compound it. So those are factors that interplay when it comes to rejection. Here's another great question. Pastor Murphy, should teenagers date if they are young and not able to handle rejection Will that affect them going into life? It will affect uh, uh, any time a teenager is rejected during dating. Uh, really, is painful, uh, very, very painful, and it colors. Some people can withdraw, don't want to be hurt again, so it could put them in a point where they're um, they don't seek companionship because the pain remains there. Uh, the other thing, though, that you got to bear in mind is that sometimes by interacting with people, you mature. Uh, so it, 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 it can go both ways. It can slice both ways. I am of the opinion that um, I think that uh, people who are in school, especially in um, secondary school, et cetera, et cetera, I think they should concentrate on their schoolwork, to be very honest with you, and because everything today is with papers and your degrees and stuff like that. 
I think when you get romantically involved at that age, it can really destroy your studies. Uh, you can't concentrate. It, you're doing an exam, and here you are daydreaming, et cetera, et cetera. So I think uh, it has to be controlled, and I think uh, parents ought to know how mature the child is, whether or not they should permit that kind of uh, dating, et cetera. But I think it's wiser to focus on your schoolwork for now, and then as you mature, maybe get into college, uh, think about that. There's nothing wrong going to a banquet with a person, but don't get too serious, because most people that are dating now are never going to marry the person that they're, that they're uh, in, in the end. These romantic flings that you have when you're a teenager, hardly any of them end up in, in, in permanent marriage. So it's, a, it's something that can really disrupt your, your, your emotions, and it can disrupt your studies, and it can affect your future. Uh, so you need to bring more balance to it. But I think you're not listening to your parents. If you're in their home, you have to listen to your parents, get their guidance, and um, um, don't be disrespectful uh, to your parents if they feel that uh, this is not the appropriate time. Uh, you ought to live under the obedience of your parents, and that is what God requires to you. Honor your mother and honor your father. You do that by obedience. Last week you mentioned that it's not a question of whether or not we will face rejection. It's more a question of how we deal with it. What advice would you offer to the person who is dealing with rejection? There's several things that uh, I would like to say in this connection, but I think the key factor uh, when it comes to rejection, I think really there's an identity crisis uh, that a person faces when they're going through rejection that because the person feels devalued, and uh, this is where I think the real problem lies. Um, identity has to do with how we see ourselves. And we become very vulnerable when uh, we are dependent on other people uh, to define who we are. And I think that is the whole matter when it comes to this whole matter of uh, rejection. So it has to do with how you define yourself, how you see yourself. Um, what gives you a sense of self-worth? Uh, is it your job that makes you, you know, ident- your, that's your identity, that's what gives you self-worth? Is it, is it your parents, the form, family you're from? Is it uh, the kind of friends that you move with? Is it your peers? Is it your pigmentation uh, that makes you, uh, how you identify yourself? Is it your economic status? Uh, is it the car that you drive? Is it the house that you own? Uh, is it your est- aesthetic Assets, your 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 outward beauty, your your shape, your face, your your hair, your your dimple. Uh, is it the grades you do in school? Uh, all of these are, are ephemeral things that can. Uh, when you lose these things, you can lose a sense of identity, and that is why um, you need to make sure when you're dealing with this this crisis of um, rejection. One of the things that you need to do really is to shore up your identity. Know who you are. And if you have an unshakable identity of who you really are, uh, when rejection comes, it will soften the impact. When it co- not if it comes, when it comes. So I think that one of the key things here, when it comes to your um, dealing with um, rejection, is to try to show up your identity as a believer. And the only way you can ever have an unshakable identity as a believer has to do with your close relationship with God. So I think that is something you need to work on. Um, um, you belong to God's family. You're a child of the King. You're redeemed. You're adopted. You're sealed. You're justified. You're sanctified. You're you are going to be one day glorified. Uh, all of these are things that the Bible says about you as a person. 
but I think that's the first thing I would recommend to people when they're dealing with this whole matter of rejection. Try to define who you are and try to define who you are not by what people think or by what you have, but try to define it by your relationship with God. As one made in the image of God, you have value, you have significance, but also as one who's redeemed, uh, that is an added factor that makes you very valuable. So when you are rejected, you have to uh, go back to that sense of identity that no matter what that person has done to me, no matter what person rejected me, uh, I have worth and my worth is not dependent on that person's opinion of myself. Uh, God loves me, God created me, and God has adopted me to his family. Nothing can shake that, but it has to become a meaningful uh, relationship in order for that identity to sustain you during this time of uh, rejection. So I would say that's, that's the, the key establish who you really are and, and find your identity uh, in Christ. You know, I was <coughs> thinking, Nathan, along the same line, <coughs> that if you go through the book of um, uh, John, and uh, you'll find that over 62 times, our Lord refers to God as His Father. Now remember, that's only 20 chapters. But again and again, uh, and remember that He's the one that suffered rejection from this Capernaum, from his brothers and his sisters, from all the religious leaders. He was constantly facing rejection. But what sustained him was this relationship with his father. He said, for example, the father loves me. He said that in John 3.35, John 5.20, and John 15.9. He says, I seek only to do the father's will. He says that in John 5.30. He says, um, the father give me works to do, a job to do. Uh, he focused, that is found in John 5, 36. He, found, he said, the Father sent me, John 5, 3, John 8, 16, and John 12, 49. He said, I live by the Father, and that means I live depending on the Father. You find that in, in, in John 5, 56. He says that uh, he wants the Father to be glorified in his life, John 14, 7. And then he says, I go to the Father, ultimately, when he's going to be crucified. And he says, um, I'm not alone, he says in John 16, because the Father is with me. It was this very close connection with the Father that no matter how he was rejected, who rejected him, he was able to sustain his identity as a, as a son of God. I think, basically, if we can solve that problem once and for all, we will face rejection, but we will never be one that is completely um, knocked out of it, bamboozled, uh, can't function, having sleepless nights, thinking of suicide, maybe engaging in revenge, we will learn to find our hope and our trust and identity in the Father dependent upon God. And no matter what anyone does to, to us, we find uh, our relationship with Him as premier and fundamental, and that is able to help us to buoy us during this time when we're faced with this uncertainty and this rejection that we face. So I think that's the key thing I would say to people. Uh, try to know who you are as a believer and let that become very real to you. Um, you know, I, I might share this with the audience. When I was a boy coming up in, in uh, Barbados, from the very time I was going to uh, primary school and I would walk the road, now, I happen to be a mulatto. I'm a pigmentation. I'm both mix of black and white, but I more look more Caucasian. I look uh, black. But I remember walking the streets of the boy in Barbados, going to school, and being called names like Speckly Banana, um, Eddie White Mice, 
Uh, I mean, it was terrible. I wanted to throw away my books even at primary school. I went into into secondary school, and uh, when they were dealing with subjects like slavery, uh, the teacher would say sometimes, "Is that not right, Murphy?" And that made wow. me feel so. I was so devastated. I was so um, so so um, pained uh, what was happening. The only thing that really, and I was, by the way, I was a very quiet person, withdrawn, uh, simply because I didn't know how to deal with it, how to cope with it. But what changed all of that is when I got saved. And I got saved about 16, 17. That was the transforming part of my life when I began to realize that, you know, people can't um, create an identity for me. My identity is found in my relationship with God and the fact that He loved me and He died for me on the cross. So that became the focal point that really brought me from in a shell to become more open because I, for the first time I really understood that, number one, I can't be held responsible for what other people did. But the other thing, the other factor was that God loved me and God died, Christ died for me and therefore He brought me to relationship with Him. So I'm saying to you that it was this identity as a believer coming to know Christ as Savior that was the transforming aspect in my life. And I would recommend to believers who are struggling with any kind of identity problem, any kind of rejection, understand who you are in terms of what Christ has made you to be, a son of God, adopted you to his family, sanctified you, justified you. He's one day going to glorify you. He's sealed you, and he's made you one with him. Um, this is something completely stupendous and marvelous, supernatural, of course, but it also enhances your dignity and your worth if you truly grasp what he has done for you on the cross and made what he makes possible for you in the future. A question that has come in via Facebook. Pastor, what are your views of rejection by a wife who's a believer? <sighs> That's a tough one. Yeah. Uh, I I would I would suggest and, and this this could happen, right? I I as a matter of fact, it's more common uh than than um it's very common, let me put it that way. Uh, sometimes it's not just the wife that rejects the guy. It's sometimes it's the husband that rejects the wife. The wife feels that way. As a matter of fact, it's more that way in my in my counseling that the wife feels that the husband has rejected her. Uh, there are wives who husband don't have relations with them. Hmm. I mean, for months. Hmm. And, uh, th- th- I mean, the Bible makes it quite clear from Corinthians chapter 7. It's a yeah. mutual there are wives who make uh, um, advances even to to break down and, and still there's no response so you can imagine put yourself in that situation how she feels uh, what's there that uh, am I not attractive am I not is there someone a human else there? being is there somebody else there you know somebody else feeding you you, you, you lost whatever it is yeah. but it's a very painful thing for either a husband or a wife uh, and I would say to um, a person going through that uh, is it possible uh, that maybe if she's going to church and you're going to church, I think you ought to try to get your past involved in that if it's possible. Um, but you need to get help because somebody needs to talk to her. Uh, if she's a professed believer and you're a professed believer, I am convinced that every single problem that people face if they're Christians are solvable. It has to do with us not being hardened. The Bible says our problem is a hardness of the heart. And uh, I really believe that you ought to seek help in that regard. Um, All I can say at this point in time, without knowing all the factors involved, uh, a passage that immediately comes to my mind is what the Lord says in the book of Romans, which says that um, if your enemy hungry, feed him. 
if you hung any hungry thir- uh, thirsty given uh, drink and he said in doing so you build a coal of fire upon the, that person's head and what that is saying is that by showing kindness it breaks down that that uh, spirit that is there whether it be hatred whether it be bitterness whether it be um, um, a person who is hardened uh, acts of kindness is the only way of dealing with that and I think that we are programmed that way I've, I've told people many many times that to change a situation where the two people involved one person has to change the problem that we have many times when it comes to relationships is that both people are waiting for the other person to change. If you change, I will change. So they come to the cul-de-sac. There's nothing happening. It's a stalemate. One of the persons have got to decide, listen, I've got to be the adult in this whole situation. I've got to be the whole person. It's going to cost me deeply. I might have to swallow my pride. I might have to... Um, endure some discomfort but I am going to do what the Bible tells me to do so I keep on showing kindness I keep on showing respect I keep on doing the things I not ought to be doing even though there are times when you're going to slip and you're going to say some things harsh but arm yourself with the eye. I'm going to keep that it is virtually impossible for a person to be consistent in showing kindness and thoughtfulness to another person that you do not break down their resistance at some point in time. It takes might take some time, but it's virtue. We are, and I think that's why God gave that command. He has wired us in such a way that we cannot be faced with kindness and thoughtfulness for an indefinite period of time without affecting and changing our attitude towards the person. But, of course, people want things to be solved, Nathan, in a week. Yeah, you know, a, a problem been going on for two years, five years, and they want you to solve it in a week. There's no magic wand to these things, uh, and uh, when you're doing a, uh, uh, you're trying to change your life and you're trying to get into a different pattern, it's something you have to do consistently for about six weeks before it's going to become a normal part of your existence. But again, people want to do something for a week and it doesn't work, and then they stop doing it. They do it for two weeks, it doesn't work, they stop. But you would need to do whatever it's doing at least for a minimum of six weeks. By the way, this is a connection. I never understood it quite clearly why this six weeks thing is so important. Um, um, and it came to me in the Bible that this, this 40 days and 40 days is the extreme point. And that's why I saw the connection. Uh, that you do, you know, I, I didn't say that first because psychologists tell us it's 36 days. Yeah. And I was trying to figure out what's the significance of it. But it's only when I got into the Bible and begin to see the importance of the 40 days and for whatever it is, I begin to see there is a connection here that maybe that uh, they took the psychologists to bring it out. But clearly, it takes time for that healing to take place. But I would say to the person who brought the question, I think somebody needs to confront um, your wife, uh, somebody that maybe she respects. And I think that um, if she is a believer and willing to change and you're willing to work with her, I think that change is possible. But it has to be incremental change and it has to be that you're not just about talking. You have to put things in place for that person to start doing in order for there to be a change. Just talking and words will never change people. It's, it's behavior that brings about uh, change and transformation attitude. So along with the counseling, there has to be a system of, of things put in place that need to be done uh, so that it reinforces the words that are being said. But I would recommend that uh, turn to your pastor, seek his help, and uh, if not, try some find, find somebody, that um, a good Christian counselor, who could try to ease that situation for you. But um, it's not, um, I can, 
I, I, as a man, I can feel what you, you must be feeling if you really feel rejected by your wife. I can imagine what, what you must be going through. That must be earthly hell you're going through. And uh, God never intended it that way. Home was supposed to be a place of peace and joy and love and affection. I think that can change. If you're a believer, it can change, and your wife can change as well. Is there a type of rejection or a level of rejection that is too much for us to overcome through the power of the gospel? If we were to make a statement that, and we were to endorse that, we would actually be undermining the authority of God. And uh, if there's an omnipotent God and uh, 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 who's all-powerful, uh, there's nothing too hard for the Lord. Uh, I don't think there's a situation that if people genuinely want uh, the Lord to work in their life and really are committed to change and are willing to take the required action that's required, um, that's where, by the way, Nate, that's why we give people hope. Uh, you know, I am a little bit concerned. I don't want to veer off on this matter, but, you know, when people say that a homosexual can't change, a lesbian can't change, that's what they're being told today. And if you try to change them in America by and counsel them, you can be, you can be fine. You know that. Yeah. That's the, that's the most, uh, most hurtful thing you can ever do to a man in that condition because you're giving him no hope. Okay. You leave him to continue in that situation indefinitely, and he's going to meet his maker and discover that uh, <laughs> that's contrary to God's will. Um, so the Christian faith offers hope because there's the dynamic of the Holy Spirit, there's the instruction of God's Word, and of course you've got the body of Christ of believers who can help in the matter of prayer. And don't ever forget this, uh, in the book of Hebrews, it says that Christ suffered every dimension so that he may become a sympathetic high priest and that we can find grace to help in time of need. So there's abundant grace provided by him. And grace is not just uh, favor. Grace is power as well. So enablement as well. So I'm saying to the person, I can't think of any um, situation that I can think of as a believer that it's impossible for people to heal who have been rejected. Um, uh, I can't think of a, a time that it can be impossible for a believer to, for that not to happen. Time across the Eastern Caribbean on this Tuesday evening is 8.08. You're listening to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. We're broadcasting from the island of Antigua. The name of the program is That's Truth, and the voice that you've been listening to doing the teaching is that of Pastor Dr. David Murphy, the pastor of Grace Baptist Church. If you are in Antigua and you are looking for a Bible preaching church, and you are not part of a church that is clearly preaching the doctrines of Scripture, we would encourage you to visit Grace Baptist Church on Rowan Henry Street in Gambles Terrace, Antigua. Our service schedule uh, with the whole COVID protocols and all is 9 a.m. We on Sundays. We have Sunday school. 10 a.m. we have the morning service. And then on Thursday nights at 7 p.m. we have a Bible study or prayer meeting. It alternates every other Thursday. This coming Thursday, I believe, is Bible study starting at 7 p.m. We would love for you to visit Grace Baptist Church in Antigua. Pastor Murphy, any final thoughts on the well, subject of rejection? I just mentioned the, the identity part of it, but there's a lot more that we, we need to factor in here when it okay. comes to dealing with rejection. The other thing I would suggest um, is to use your uh, rejection as a basis for self-examination. Uh, I think that that is might be very, very helpful. I think you ought to assess your actions, your attitudes, and your response uh, that might have led to um, 
rejection? Were there legitimate reasons why that you were rejected? Um, if you were rejected for a job, for example, uh, do some examination. Was it the interview? Did you handle the interview the proper way? Uh, were you adequately prepared? So it's not that you were rejected uh, for any personal reason, but it may be that you were not uh, prepared for that moment. And uh, that's, but, you, but you might see that rejection as the rejecting you. You might be rejecting your competence in, in that matter. It doesn't mean they're rejecting you as a person. If you're rejected in a relationship, for example, try to do some examination. Why was I rejected? Is it because you took a certain stand and um, you wouldn't give in to a certain um, person's requirements and the conditions that you laid down? Again, if, if that's the reason, uh, that's a good, solid, biblical reason for being rejected. You stood for something that you believed in, that maybe maybe the person was pushing you into go down in the, in the world of immorality. You said, I can't do that. Mm. And because you can't do that, they say, well, I got somebody else who will do it. Well, let them go and do somebody else. But as a Christian, your priority is to live godly and uh, not to in any way endanger and sacrifice your purity. So if you're rejected because you are taking a pure stand, um, you ought not to feel bad about that. You ought to feel that you've taken a stand for the Lord in that regard. Are you reject? Would you be because of a level of maturity? Uh, you know, that's something that you... Or do you reject the other person because of their level of maturity? It becomes very clear that you're not compatible because when you meet and you talk and the matters that you discuss, it's very clear that he's still pitching marbles, but you already built your house. Uh, you know, it, it, it had to do. And are there differences in thinking uh, that could have led to this? Um, you know, you got to look at your any deficiencies that you recognize uh, that could be partly responsible for the rejection. I think that self-evaluation, self-examination may be very helpful in that process and try to learn from it. So I think that is one of the, another thing that I would, uh, uh, I would suggest. The other thing is, uh, you know, determining in your life that you're going to live a life by faith and not by feelings. Rejection is a feeling, okay? And um, you can't live as a Christian based on your feelings. The Bible says that we live by faith. Feelings are something that are very mercurial. They oscillate, they vacillate, they fluctuate. And many times it depends on circumstances and people's responses to you. But as a believer, you can't live on the basis of, of how people make you feel. You're called to live a life of faith in God. The Bible says the just shall live by faith. You find that in Galatians, you find that in Hebrews, you also find that in Romans. Three different times that is emphasized in the Bible. So I think you must determine that uh, you've got to uh, get beyond living a life on the basis of your feelings and go on living your life, a life of faith. Then prayer is a very important part of this as well. Uh, turn your anger, your depression, your disappointment, your sadness over to the Lord. Peter said, casting all your care upon him. Ask him to heal your wounds if you're wounded very deeply. And Nathan, I wonder if you could just read for me, please, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 to 16. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 to 16. All right, that says, Seeing then we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession Verse 15, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted, like as we 
are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I mean, that's a classic example. Uh, we, and again, the book of Hebrews is an amazing book. It, it explains very clearly the role our Lord plays as a high, our great high priest. Now, what is a high priest? A high priest is one that intercedes on the behalf of humans before God. So and and he is there just as our priest. That's the point that the book of Hebrews is saying. We miss the opportunities of not really understanding this ministry of our Lord. It's not just that he's redeemed us and saved us and sealed us, but he is playing an active role as our intercessor before God that we can get the grace we need and the mercy that we need to deal with our problems. So we can't deal with rejection, any kind of um, uh, pain that we have without understanding that it's the throne of grace that we need. You remember in uh, Second uh, Corinthians chapter 12 where Paul has this perpetual discomfort, call it a thorn in his, and uh, it is something that makes Paul feel uncomfortable. And he asked the Lord again and again, and he goes before the Lord and, and, and in, in the seas, and the, the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for you. Uh, he didn't remove the thorn, but he provided compensating grace that enabled Paul to live with the thorn, but yet not at the same level of discomfort without grace. So we need to understand this ministry of prayer when it comes. And then the other matter is that I would suggest is um, seek the help of the Holy Spirit. Every born-again believer has the indwelling Holy Spirit within. Uh, So every believer, you are never alone. So even in the midst of your rejection, you have to consciously remind yourself of who you are and what God has done in your life and the fact that He has given you the Holy Spirit to indwell you. So you know what He told the disciples? I will not leave you an orphan in, in, in John chapter 14, but He will send the Holy Spirit. So when we have these moments where we feel as though we're an orphan, that we rejected, nobody wants us, that's what the Holy Spirit's part of his ministry is called the paraclete, the comforter, the one that comes alongside to help the minister to us. And that's when we need to seek his help uh, when we go through those traumas. Another thing that I would suggest is to try to view the rejection from a more objective perspective. Uh have you ever thought about that the rejection may be part of God's plan for your life? That might seem rather paradoxical, uh, but the reality may be that um, who you are depending on uh, may not be God's will for your life. And this rejection that you think is so bad may turn out to be the best thing in your entire life. Look, I can think right now of a friend of mine when I was in Barbados. We go to the same church. Um, she was engaged to a certain gentleman, uh, went to the same church, and then, uh, quite frankly, they were going to get married, plans were there, never really happened, because he went and got mixed up with another woman. And this lady thought it was the worst thing could ever happen to her. In retrospect, no, she would probably say it was the best thing that ever happened to her, because uh, he has not only been unfaithful to his wife, uh, but that's that is what would have happened to her. Yeah. That was what would have happened to her children. So I, um, when you think that it might be the worst uh, situation, it might very well turn out to be the best. It's just that time will tell. So don't uh, take a, a, a much more mature perspective, an objective perspective, and that it might be part of God's plan for your life. And remember, that your character is being forged through hardship. 
That's the way character is being built. And God guides you through open doors, but he also closes certain doors in your life. So you need to try to have that kind of a, a, a perspective. And um, it might be forcing you to lean more on God now than you ever did before. This person was your idol, and uh, you're pinning your hopes on this person, and this was your prop in life. And now that prop is gone, you find that you have to turn more on God and lean more on God and cry more on God and, and look more to God in the process. So you might be maturing you as well to let you know that you have much more inner strength than you think. You're not the weakling that you thought you were. You're, you're discovering that you have strength that you never thought existed, but he's now bringing that strength out of you because of what he's putting you through. So I think the matter of viewing it from a very mature perspective uh, more objectively would help you. The other thing is uh, don't let uh, your rejection um, stop you from fulfilling uh, your destiny. And what I mean by that is... That sounds new agey. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like uh, Joel Olstein. Huh? Mm -hmm. <laughs> now what I mean by that is that God has a, a clear plan for your life. I think everybody should know that. Uh, there's not a thing that was created on planet Earth that doesn't have a purpose. That's why when people talk about marijuana and the misuse of marijuana for smoking it, uh, clearly it has medicinal uses. And even even the snake's poison has medicinal uses used. So everything has a purpose. God has created things for a purpose. So you were created for a purpose as well. And don't let what is happening in your life uh, stop uh, you from following what God has led you, what God is leading you. Don't let rejection stand in your way. Get up and try and go again and fulfill what God has for your life. Um, make sure that your goals and your purposes, uh, your God-given goals and purposes are realized. And uh, don't let anything stand in the way uh, that way. And then uh, in spite of your rejection, try to keep God first in your life. Um, this may be an opportunity for you now as a person uh, now that that individual that was taking such a prominent role in your life, primary role, um, displaced God almost in your life, now that person is taken away, that idol is removed, and now that idol is removed, um, God will take a higher uh, um, level of um, in, in your life. And so I took, took it that way, that uh, the rejection might be an opportunity now to put God where he ought to be in central in your life, and uh, it might, in in long term, you might begin to realize that this person really was an idol that I was um, harboring, and I put so much invested, so much of my time and effort uh, in, in that in, my, in in that person's life. But now uh, you begin to realize that it's your relationship with God that really comes. So those are eight things that I would I would say that would help people in dealing with this matter of rejection. Those are very practical steps, and in case you were driving or didn't get a chance to write all of those down for future reference, you can listen to a rebroadcast of this same episode this Saturday from 3.30 in the afternoon until 5 p.m., or if that doesn't work for you or you want to listen to it even a third time, you can go to our website, Caribbean Radio Lighthouse.org. Scroll down to the second page, the second picture that you see, which is a large microphone, and right in the middle is a circle that says podcast. Click on that, and we will later this week be updating or uh, 
uploading the podcast of this episode so that you can listen to it, download it, pass it on to your friends, listen to it on your own timetable. Now, Pastor, as you were going through those the list of things, a couple of times you mentioned this is how a believer should handle it. For the individual who says, Pastor, how can I become a believer? What do I need to know and what do I need to do? Well, um, the question was asked in Acts chapter 16, what must I do to be saved? And the answer was, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. So conversion really has to do with two things, repentance, and it has to do with putting your faith and trust in Christ. Remember that uh, salvation has to do with the matter of man's sin. Um, And so therefore, it has to do with the fact that I'm willing to acknowledge that I'm a sinner before God, and uh, I need my pardon, I need forgiveness. I'm willing to uh, ask God to forgive me, to be cleansed of my sin. But the other aspect of it is uh, putting your faith and trust in Christ and Christ alone. And when I, and listen, it's not, you know, people think it's faith that saves. It's the work that Christ did on the cross that saves us. Faith is just taking hold of that work. But it's really the work that Christ did on the cross that saves us. So if a person is going to be saved, it's not going to be the church. Church can't save you because the church never did a work for you. It's not going to be a baptism. It's not going to be a confirmation. Uh, it's not going to be seven sacraments that the Catholic Church has got. It's not going to be the law. None of that can save you. It's putting your faith and trust exclusively in the finished work of Christ on the cross with, who died in your place as to redeem you, to, to buy you back, and to put you in a right relationship with God. So it's, those are the two things, repentance and putting your faith and trust in Christ. Anything else you'd like to say on rejection? Yeah, I would just like to say there are a few verses, uh, Nathan, that I think are very helpful. Um, Look at Psalm 94, verse 14. I think that's a very helpful verse for people who are going through uh, rejection. Psalm 94, verse 17? 14. 14. For the Lord will not cast off his people, neither will he forsake his inheritance. Yeah, I mean, that, that uh, when somebody rejects you and they cast you off and uh, put you aside, again, you, again, you, this is where Bible, the Bible is, is there to engender uh, hope and trust and comfort. And no matter what a person does to you, uh, a verse like this, the Lord would never cast off his people, he'd never reject his people. That's consoling that man might reject me, but the God of heaven will never. That certainly is uplifting for a person who is going to rejection. Um, look at, um, I think it is Psalm 34, verse 17. Psalm 34 and verse 17 says, The righteous cry, and the Lord heareth, and delivereth them out of all their troubles. Again, that is a very comforting word. Notice, the righteous cry, and the Lord delivereth, not of some of their trouble, all of their trouble. Mm -hmm. See, if you're going through this troublesome time of rejection, your job and uh, what God wants you is to cry unto God and pour your heart out to God. He's promised that he is going to intervene. He's promised he's going to help you in that that matter. But if God loves us, why does he allow us to go through trouble? Well, I mentioned before, Nathan, that um, character and maturity only comes through trials. It's just like a tree. uh, As it blows against the wind, it's strengthened. Um, we never develop character in soft situations or easy situations. I think you, you know that in life. You toughen your hands by getting on the fork or the hoe, and as you do it, you get your calluses on it, you become tougher. You toughen your muscles by exercising your muscles. Similarly, your spiritual life, uh, the trials, and then uh, that, that, that help that. As a matter of fact, in um, 
Maybe we can look at Romans chapter 5, where Paul gives a kind of a, um, a, a an order uh, of how these things work in the believer's life. Uh, look at Romans chapter 5 for just a moment, Nathan. Uh, what verse is specific? Uh, I, think, I think read from verse number 1. Okay. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, Continue. by whom also we have access by faith into this grace, wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation yeah, worketh patience, and patience experience and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. You see that divine order? Yeah. That one leads to the other, and you can't get the second one without going to the first one. This is not the only Bible verse. Uh, Peter talks about this as well. James chapter 1 also. Yeah, so it, it's, a, it's a fact that if we are going to mature, if we're going to develop, we have to go through trials. And, and I think everybody knows that. Uh, you will never be a man uh, to handle issues as a, that will come in, in your adult life if you don't learn to handle certain things when you're a boy or when you grow up as a, a teenager. So it's all part of a deve developmental process, a spiritual developmental process where God is maturing you. The problem with us is that we somehow think that these things happen by accident, by chance, and we forget the divine perspective that um, God is in control. And just in the case of Job, uh, he has a hedge where he protects his people, and he filters uh, what he wants in our lives. If we can just get the idea that he's the one controlling what enters our lives, it would resolve our problem. Because we think these things are haphazard and happen by accident, that's the difficulty that we have. We haven't grasped the idea that God uh, loves his people and God guards his people and protects his people. And what God allows to penetrate our, our offense is permitted of him. That was something that we understand when we look at the book of when you look at the book of Job. Uh, Satan said, "You know, you put a fence around him, uh, and the Lord was right. He was protected. And then the Lord removed the fence. And said, okay, you, 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 you try him, and then everything went uh, bad for Job. But again, it was only because God removed the fence. And then when he hit him in different places, his finances, he said, okay, hit him in his flesh. God said, okay, I removed that either. But notice, in every case, he has to get permission." in order to attack Job in that regard. Our problem is that we are too much mundane in our thinking. We're not transcendental in the sense that we don't think about God in great thoughts. about that's, You read the Psalms, for example, and you wonder how can David be a man after God's heart when you learn of the things that somebody David. But when you read the Psalms, you realize this man was really a godly man. I mean, he made his mistakes, but he brought God into everything, basically, including his horrendous sin in, in, in Psalm chapter 51. But that was David's thought. He was always bringing God into the picture, all into the matrix. And he always had thoughts of God. And I think that's what would help us in this matter. Do you have a question? We would love for you to call and be put live on the air. one 462 is the phone number for you to call. 268-462-7420. The phone line is open and available. If you'd like to WhatsApp or text your question, you can send it to 268 268- Seven eight two one four five four two six eight seven eight two one four five four, 
or you can go to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse Facebook page, click on the Facebook Live video feed. You can listen to the program, see what goes on behind the scenes in the studio, and you can also comment your questions or your comments, and they'll get passed along to Pastor Murphy in a timely manner. Pastor, those were two verses in relation. Look at look another one quickly, Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30. I think that's another two very helpful verses. All right, Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30 reads as follows. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. Again, For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Yeah, again, he's asking you to come. He's going to give you rest. He's going to give you peace. Um, and he's going to put, you know, his yoke, which has had to do with uh, sharing with him. And, you know, the yoke was something that would join two oxen to work together. And he's basically saying, you know, um, he wants a close relationship with, with you. And um, whatever burden you're carrying, he's going to be part of the yoke, help you with that burden. Those are very, very comforting scriptures. Of course, people, um, Psalm 23 is a very common one as well. But there are many other Bible verses that you can use your concordance or use a, if you've got a, a Bible that has parallel passages in it that you can do. But there's numerous passages in the Bible that would help you as a believer. And, um, you know, uh, Paul says in uh, Corinthians that it is truly the encouragement and comfort of the scriptures that gives a believer hope. Uh, here and sometimes it might be seem very dark and dank and you need hope you need you need um, help you need encouragement and that's where the Bible comes in the scriptures come in it's a very great source of comfort and uh, stimulates you maybe you have a question about rejection and you don't want the question to get tied back to you we won't even mention the location that you are sending the question from we will just mention it, that it's from a listener. You can send it in to WhatsApp, 268-782-1454. Pastor, I think this topic of rejection uh, is very applicable for all of us. Uh, I'm sure, well, you mentioned a couple of examples of how you faced uh, types of rejection in your life. I've faced rejection. Each individual who's listening has faced rejection, and we can apply, we can learn, and be prepared for the next time that we face it. If I might share, can I share another one? Yeah. Yeah, one of the ones that I really had when I was in in college, um, um, this is very somewhat devastating, but again, I look back in retrospect, and I'm very fortunate that I married the woman that I married, but... When I was dating um, in the college, um, this is not designed to create any um, discomfort with people who are listening, mm. but I was dating a, um, a person at the school, and they learned that I was a uh, mixed mulatto, yeah. and she went home and told her parents I was mixed and the parents said the relationship has to over to be over. I mean, that was painful. I can tell you that was very, very. I couldn't believe that was happening to me. Yeah. And by the way, the way it happened is that um, I was in Gaffney, South Carolina, preaching in a prison, and I was um, preaching, and there was having they were having a problem. There were a lot of um, black prisoners, and they felt that we coming from the school. Uh, they were keeping noise and stuff like that and I got up and I said to them basically you know gentlemen 
I don't know why you are rejecting our tent, but I said, Look, I want to tell you where I came from. And I, that's, I shared that I was of mixed race. And her brother was there. And she went. he went back and told the parents, and that was the end of it. Wow. That was a very painful thing. But again, that's what I'm saying to you. This is something that happened in life. You can't let that bring you down and demean who you are. You've got to know who you are. And that, again, I was saved. So even though it was difficult and painful, it never diminished my self-worth. I just felt sorry for the people who felt that way, to be very honest with you. Um, but so it's not something that, you know, I face it, you face it, everybody's going to face it. It's a reality. But what helps us as believers is being as Christians, we know who we are. We're loved by God. We're redeemed. We're sealed. Uh, we're justified. We're sanctified. We are one with Christ. We're part of that body. And I think that identity, no, nothing could happen to destroy that identity. Once you have that solid foundation of you will know who you are in Christ, I think that's why I keep saying, Nathan, when I was talking about the, the key to deal with this whole thing, that the real problem is an identity crisis when it comes to rejection. Solve that identity crisis, and no matter what people do to you, you can boil yourself up and come out of it because you know who you are. You're a child of God, and God loves you, and you have a future. You're listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program. If you're enjoying Pastor Murphy's uh, teaching and his style of explanation of God's Word, let me encourage you to tune into Sermons of Grace, which he's going through the book of Romans right now. And you can hear that here on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse on Sunday nights at 8.15 p.m. Pastor Murphy, we have a caller from Nevis. Thank you for calling, and go ahead with your question, please. Good evening. Good evening, sir. How are you today? Not too bad. I would like to say I really appreciate your calling. Uh, you do it regularly, and I really appreciate that, honestly. Thank you so much. All right. Uh-huh. Um, I would like to ask a question. Sure. What is a Daniel fast? Daniel fast. What's a Daniel fast? Yes. Well, some people believe, you know, Daniel was given what is called pulps or vegetables. And there are people who take that as a Daniel fast. They they, not, they wouldn't eat meat. They wouldn't eat anything. All they did is uh, like fruits. That is how people uh, would, 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 some people use it as a Daniel fast. So it's actually a, a fasting that uh, focuses most on veget- vegetal, uh, being a vegetarian for maybe a week or two weeks. That's what they call a, a Daniel fast. The church that I attend, uh-huh. they occasionally do a fast, which they label a Daniel fast. And I think it's um, on chapter 10 and verses 2 and 3 of Daniel. Uh-huh. Okay. What does that read? That is, let me see. Uh, Daniel, what okay. chapter was it again? Ja- what chapter was Ten. it? 10, uh, verse 1? Verses 2 and 3. Two and All right, three. that okay. says, In those days I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. I oh. ate no pleasant bread, neither came flesh nor wine in my mouth, neither did I anoint myself at all, till three whole weeks were fulfilled. Yeah. Well, in, in that case, that you're probably talking about three periods of time, which is... Uh, 
Uh, that's a long time. That's almost 40 days. 21 days. Yeah, 21 days. Yeah. So that would be a Daniel fast, 21 days. I think my, my wife and I think yeah. that uh, my wife did that along with uh, three people from our church. I think it was Robert. It was uh, Sister Anthony, my wife, and I think it was uh, Rhoda. Yeah. I think four people in our church uh, went through that kind of a process with a 21-day fast. Hello? No, yeah. Um... All they all they all they did, by the way, was to do li- to use uh, to use liquids. They didn't use any kind of um, any kind of um, food. They just used liquids. And that is different to the fast which is mentioned in uh, chapter nine. Okay, mm-hmm. what verse is that? Uh, let me see. So Daniel fast would be a twenty-one day fast, then, and the ch- one in chapter nine. I'm not familiar with that verse, so I couldn't I couldn't speak on it immediately. But um, I'm skimming down through Daniel chapter nine. I don't uh, verse three. Verse three. three. Let me scroll up and read that for you. Daniel 9, 3 says, And I set my face unto the Lord to seek by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. Yeah. That that uh, again, I I I'm speaking under correction here because I'm not too the two passages are not too sure how they run together. I'm not too sure they're referring to the same thing. Uh, but basically, um, with the one there, the one in chapter nine, uh, he's fasting and uh, he put on sackcloth and uh, he's actually that was a way of Jews showing they they were mourning. Now, when you come to the New Testament, the Lord says, when you fast, don't let anybody know you're fasting. But in the case of Daniel here, uh, he's clearly mourning over the state of Israel. And, of course, later on you'll discover that Daniel uh, uh, soon comes to realize that the Jeremiah prophecy is going to come to an end because Jeremiah had prophesied for 70 years. So God enlightened Daniel in that as well. But uh, in that case, he's, he's, he's put on sackcloth to show to these people his state of uh, sorrow and mourning over their condition because they're in Babylon captivity because of the rebellion. The Babylonians had taken them there and uh, he, he knew quite well that Jeremiah's prophecy was coming to an end. So you got two different types there. One is actually manifested in the actual putting on sackcloth and the other one seemed to be duration of that which is 21 days. But when we fast in, in, uh, as a believer, we are told by our Lord uh, in Matthew 5 and 6 that we must wash our face and not let people know that we're fasting. And that's where I'm a little bit leery when it's all uh, this kind of public fasting. I know that if you have a national crisis, I think you can call upon the nation to fast. And if the church is going through a situation or somebody in church is sick or whatever, I think it's appropriate to call the church to fast. But generally speaking, I think believers, if they're fasting, ought to do it in silent, uh, in private, uh, not to parade it before people and talk about their fasting for four and five days. I think that they're robbed of their reward the moment they begin to announce uh, the, the fasting. So, so I think it's something that's very, very private. Does that help? Look at verse 12 of chapter 10. Okay, read chapter that. Chapter 10 Daniel. and verse uh-huh. 12 says, Then said he unto me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand and to chasten thyself before thy God, thy words were heard, and I came 
for thy words. Yeah, this is part of the answer to prayer that uh, he got because of, you said, he's afflicted himself before God, which would be the fasting part of it. So Daniel is fasting for purpose. Um, he, He wanted to get some knowledge as to what these dreams had meant and what was the significance. So he, he applied himself before the Lord and uh, chastened himself before God and afflicted himself before God by withholding the normal um, things that he would eat. And uh, the Lord rewarded him by giving him the information that he required. So f- you know, fasting has its benefits. As a matter of fact, our Lord made it clear that his believer, the believers would fast afterwards. You remember they came to him and said, you know, how come John's disciples fast and your disciples don't fast? And, yeah. and he said, you know what, while the bridegroom is here, yeah. uh, they're not going to fast. But when the bridegroom fast. is gone, then they would fast. So fasting should be part of, of, of the believer's life. But believer's it's life. not something that we should parade it is something to be done in private. If you read Matthew chapter 5 and 6, you'll see our Lord talks about that, that we must not parade this before men. We must do it in private before God. To be seen of them. Yeah, to be seen of them. So there are times when it's pub- it can be public in the church and the pastor and the leaders can call for a time of prayer and fasting. But generally speaking, when it comes to the individual, it's a matter between the individual and God and doing it in private and intercession. And you ought not to let people know even by his drab face or, you know, not combing his hair or letting his beard grow. So people ask the question, well, what's happening with you? You want this to be something between you and God alone when it comes to the individual. Okay, thanks a lot. God bless you and thanks for calling again. Appreciate that. Have a great night. Thanks for calling and continue to encourage others there in Nevis to listen to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. Pastor Murphy, question why do we pray in Jesus' name, and why don't we use the cross symbol when we pray? Well, we are told, and uh, I can't give you the exact reference here because I don't have a concordance before me, but we are told Christ said, anything you ask in my name, you're going to receive. So it's a matter of obedience. Uh, he, he's the one that, you know, it's like, it's like a, uh, prayer is like a check. But in order for to get the check um, um, fulfilled, you have to have the check endorsed. And the, this, the, the the name of Christ is like the endorsement. So you're praying before God, and you want something, or you're praying about a matter, but there must be this this endorsement, this signature. And that's where you say you pray in, in Christ's name. That's why we pray in Christ's name, because we're told to pray in Christ's name. It's a matter of obedience, what our Lord said. How is that different from the, is it the Word of Faith movement, though, that says, I'm gonna, I'm claiming it, I'm naming it, and claiming it? Well, again, because the difference between that is that you have, you're, you're coming to God to bring the answer. You're looking to God as the authority, the one that has the power to give you the answer. The Word of Faith movement is claiming that they are the ones that have the authority. Okay. They're claiming that the words itself have authority. So it's a different thing altogether. They also say that Christ created, God created by the Word. So they've given, they've given power to words. The, the power is not in the words, the power is in the God who speaks the words, and that's where the error has come in, so that they believe they can create their own reality by speaking words like God. Uh, it, it is such a deceptive uh, movement that when you analyze it, you see the subtlety of it, uh, uh, but it's clearly contrary to Scripture because we, we, we pray to God. By the way, some of those guys say you should never ask, never pray, if uh, let thy will be done. And literally can quote you guys say you shouldn't pray that. Wow. Even even Jesus prayed that, yeah. right? So that shows you the audacity and the um atrocity of, 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 of this kind of movement. But it's very popular. But it will see its day, it's gonna die eventually.
Pastor, we have a caller from Antigua. Thank you for calling, and go ahead with your question, please. Good evening, good evening. Hi, good evening, Mr. Williams. How are you doing, sir? Yeah. I'm doing well. Good to hear your voice. Yes, yes. Yeah. What Pastor, can I'm going to be too long tonight because my credit cannot lose. Let me ask you, um, the book of Judges, uh-huh. that's it. Uh-huh. Eight, eight to thirteen. Chapter eight, chapter six to eight to thirteen. Yeah, chapter six, verse eight to thirteen. Yeah. Okay. I will listen off here. Okay. All right. Good. Thank you for your question, and I will. Read if I can, those. if I can respond to it immediately, I will. Okay. Go ahead. No problem. No problem. Okay. Thanks for calling. Appreciate that, brother. Have a good night. All right. Judges chapter six. 8 to 13 says that the Lord sent a prophet unto the children of Israel, which said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you forth out of the house of bondage. And I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of the and all that oppressed you and drave them out before you and gave you their land And I said unto you, I am the Lord your God. Fear not the gods of the Amorites, in whose land ye dwell. But ye have not obeyed my voice. Then came an angel of the Lord, and sat under an oak which was in Ophrah, that pertained unto Joash the Abrezite, the son of Gideon. And his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress, to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. And verse 13, And Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? And where be all his miracles, which our fathers told us of, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Yeah, I think that is pretty straightforward. Um, first of all, the um, we're told that the Lord recounts his historical um, deliverance of Israel, uh, the emancipation out of Egypt, and God brought them into the land and God gave them the land of Canaan. Remember that that land was given to them after 430 years of waiting and giving the Amorites time to repent. Uh, so the Lord did not bring Israel into into Canaan to conquer Canaan and, and uh, given that piece of real estate until he had given 430 years for those nations to repent. But they did not repent, and therefore God gave it to Israel. Now um, what has happened, he brought him to, into, into the land of promise, and he had told them that to drive out all the the nations that were there because he, he warned them if you do not do this they're going to become a thorn in your side and they're going to lead you into idolatry and if you read the first two chapters of Judges you'll discover that uh, several of the tribes I think five of them are mentioned that they refused to drive out these um, enemies these Canaanite pagans from uh, Canaan as a result Israel got into idolatry they started worshipping their idols and not only that if you read the book of Leviticus, you'll find that all of the major Im- uh, sins that are mentioned, Im- immoral sins that are mentioned, like uh, incest, uh, bestiality, homosexuality, you'll find that all of those, our Lord said that, I'm casting these nations out because these are the things that these nations were doing. And if you don't purge the land, 
they become a cancer in your life, and there you're going to end up doing the same things. And, and, and to the form, failure to deal with this matter and to, to cast out these, these nations, uh, Israel fell into the same forms of iniquity and idolatry. And now uh, the Lord is calling, um, is it Gideon? Or yes, Gideon. It? Gideon. Uh, and he's calling him a mighty man of valor because the, the Midianites have now taken over the land. And if you read the book of Judges, by the way, that uh, there's a vicious cycle. The people are disobedient. Uh, God sends a nation to chastise them. They call upon the Lord uh, to intervene. The Lord intervenes and delivers them uh, by sending a judge. And then the cycle starts again and again. It's like these people uh, are just not stable. And that's what was happening with Israel. So there's, I think, seven different cycles in the book of Judges of nations that are brought against Israel to chasten Israel, to bring Israel in bondage because of their iniquity and their sin. And this is what Gideon is saying. Gideon is now saying the Lord is calling him to be the one to deliver as a judge because Gideon is one of the judges. He is saying to the Lord, you know, uh, what happened to all the miracles that happened in the past? You know, you did such great works in the past. How come now we are dominated by this uh, foreign Midianite force that now put us in bondage and and got our people in fear? Uh, and you know that the reason for that, by the way, is again, God has allowed that to happen because of Israel's sin, uh, and that is why Gideon makes that kind of a statement. Uh, the Lord forsook His people in the sense that the Lord allowed the nations to come in and chasten them, and then to bring them back to Himself. In every case where the Lord took His hand off Israel and allowed Israel to be chastened, it was never something to be permanent. It was always designed to bring Israel back to the Lord. So all the chastening you find in the book of Judges, I think seven different cycles of all these nations, the Midianites would come, and the Hivites and all these different groups. You'll find that in every case, the ultimate goal is to move the people back into a right relation with God. So when it seems as though He has forsaken them, it means there that he has allowed enemies to come in and chasten the people by putting them in bondage. But the whole goal of that is to cause them to, to turn to the Lord and cry for deliverance. And God would then send a judge who would deliver them. The people then begin to follow the Lord. But they do it for a few years and then back. It's a vicious cycle. And, and every time the Lord has to chasten them to bring them back to himself. So um, Gideon is just espousing what he sees there, that here the Midianites have taken over Israel and they got Israel enslaved. And he's wondering, why doesn't God do something? God has forsaken his people. But the only reason God has forsaken his people temporarily is that they might be chastened by the Midianites so they cry out to God for help and God deliver and they go back to the worship of Jehovah. And that's the cycle that you find in the book of uh, Judges. So it doesn't mean a permanent rejection. It's a temporary rejection. And again, if you read the book of Judges, you'll see that about seven different times uh, you have these seven different judges that God has to call into, uh, call into service to deliver his people because of their sin and their disobedience and God allowing the nations to come and conquer them and put them in bondage, only to be cry out to God for help and God intervenes once again and again. It's that cycle you find in the book of Judges. Thank you to the individual who called in with that question. Uh, Pastor, the previous question that had come in that we're getting back to, why do we not use the cross symbol when we pray? Well, we don't have any warrant in the Bible to use the cross symbol. 
this is just something that uh, is common in the Catholic Church. I'm not even sure if the Anglican Church, but most of those churches that branch off in the Catholic Church probably use the sign of the cross. But there's no warrant for it. I mean, we as Baptists and we as uh, people who are fundamentalists in terms of accepting the Bible as the Word of God, we take our directives from Scripture, and if we don't find it's a biblical basis for it, we are very reluctant to embrace it. And the other thing is that, you know, it's a matter of identity. If people associate this with a certain group that is uh, teaching false doctrine or in error, uh, we don't want to follow because it might be perceived that we're endorsing something that is not scriptural. But we don't do it because there's no biblical warrant. If anybody can show me anywhere in the Bible where it says that you must make the, the motion of the cross, it's not there. You can check from Genesis to Revelation. It's not there. just a custom that has entered the church of tradition. And not all traditions are bad, but we don't see any warrant for using the cross because there's no biblical basis for it. A question that has come in from a listener. What does Paul mean in Romans chapter 11, verse 26, when he says, All Israel shall be saved? Romans eleven twenty six says, And so all Israel shall be saved, as it is written. There shall come out of Zion the deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. Yeah, when we were dealing with the Bible prophecy in connection to the end times, we pointed out quite clearly that uh, in this dispensation, the church is the primary agent that God is using to win the world. We're told that Israel, at this point in stage, according to Romans, is in a period of, of blindness. That's the current state. That's why the Israel, Israeli people, uh, though many have turned to the Lord as a nation, uh, they have not acknowledged Christ as a Messiah. As a matter of fact, they think that he's a traitor because the Bible makes it clear in Revelation. If you read uh, Romans 9, 10, and 11, uh, Romans 9 talks about their past, all the blessings, the covenants, the the law, um, the rituals, the services of God was given to them. And then in chapter 10, Paul explains that what has happened because of their unbelief and blindness and rejection of Christ, they have been cut off and we Gentiles have been grafted into God's plan. Then in chapter 11, Paul makes it quite clear the time is coming when God is going to regraph Israel into his, pro, uh, into his program again. And that's what will occur after the rapture of the church. That's why uh, people who don't believe in uh, the rapture, and um, two things I would say about that, they clearly don't understand the, the scripture, but not only that, there is, in, in the Old Testament, there's the example of the translation of Enoch. There's always in the Old Testament some anti-type in the New Testament that relates to that. But the, the the thing that is being taught there is that after the church is raptured and God is going to regraph Israel into his program, that is during the tribulation period, uh, the, the entire nation of Israel will one day turn to the Lord, read uh, Revelations, and they shall see me coming in the clouds and shall weep with me as a um, one weep of her children. I think it's Revelations chapter 1. I forgot what verse in chapter 1. But that will be the time when Israel finally realizes that they have crucified the Messiah and that Christ was the real Messiah, and they will turn to the Lord and believe. And then the nation of Israel uh, will be saved and go into the millennial kingdom with Christ reigning on the throne. So that's what it means there. It's talking about time that's going to come yet futuristic uh, the, after the rapture when Israel finally uh, understands that they crucified the Messiah and recognize who the Messiah is. They turn to the Messiah and the nation of Israel will be redeemed collectively because they will turn to the Lord as a nation. 
So that's a literal, not just a spiritual. No, that's, that's literal. You, you can't read that passage without understanding the, the literalness of it if you read uh, chapter 9, chapter 10, and chapter 11. But we dealt with that on another occasion, and I would recommend that the person perhaps check it up on the Internet uh, to get more clarity on it. Yeah, you said that was in the, during our end times discussion. Yeah, end time discussion. Yeah. Yeah. So if you go to, uh, if you just Google uh, That's Truth Podcast, and then look up uh, the podcasts are titled based on topic and we have a whole series on end times and if you look through the description you may find uh, that particular passage Nathan I might add here this is the problem today with Bible prophecy uh, institutions and denominations and different groups that have no place for Israel for example the Jehovah's Witness have no place for Israel at all the Seventh-day Adventists have no place for Israel Israel is a nation uh, that is going to be used of God doesn't exist in the Seventh-day Adventist. The Catholics don't have any any idea if Israel is a nation to be used in the future. Uh, and that's why they're all off on Bible prophecy and never understand Bible prophecy until you understand the role that Israel will play. Every single promise that God has ever made to the nation of Israel in the Old Testament will be, fulfill, fulfill, will be fulfilled. God never makes a promise that He would not fulfill. And uh, that, so that's why Israel will play such a prominent role uh, in the end times. And And by the way, that's why the greatest uh, modern miracle that has occurred um, in our lifetime is the reestablishment of the nation of Israel in 1948, when it became an after nation was lost for 2,000 years. In a day, a nation was reborn. God had promised and God fulfilled. I'm not quite that old, Pastor. It wasn't in my <laughs> lifetime, but I, I follow what you're saying. Thank you very much for listening to That's Truth tonight. Be sure that you tune in next week as we will bring you another very practical topic. I believe we're going to begin discussing the baptism of the Holy Spirit, what that means. Maybe there's someone that you have discussed that topic with or someone who's asked you a question along the lines of that topic, and you would want to encourage them to tune in and listen to the program next week. Please do so. Time Across the Eastern Caribbean is now 9 p.m. Stay tuned to CRL. Thank you for joining us for today's program. We pray that the Holy Spirit uses the truths shared from God's Word to strengthen your faith. Now you've heard it. That's truth. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can hear more answers to life's questions on That's Truth, Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. If you're in Antigua, you can listen at 92.3 MHz FM. If you're in the Caribbean, you can listen at 1160 kilohertz AM or listen online at www.radiolighthouse.org from anywhere in the world. Or you can subscribe to this podcast. Looking forward to having you join us next time.